For my text this morning, I'll take just a portion of one verse. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the last part of verse 4 tells us that charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Some of you will recall a few weeks before camp meeting, I begin a message based on this 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, realizing very quickly that there is too much here to cover in one message. So with the Lord's help, we'll continue looking where we left off. Of course, just to quickly recap, this was part of a larger letter that Paul had written to the church in Corinth. We know the church in Corinth was a fractured, divided church. By the time of this writing was pretty much on life support. And we know that it wasn't a lack because of a lack of talent or ability or even members. Paul was letting them know the problem was it was a lack of love, Christian love, the love of Christ, not only for the Lord, but for one another. And so in this chapter, he was writing to show them a more excellent way, the way of love. And of course, we know the first three verses, he was laying out the importance or preeminence of love. And then in verse 4, he begins to describe the characteristics of love. And we covered a few of those characteristics. And here, Paul is using a negative to continue to describe what love looks like by telling us what love is not or what it doesn't do. It says, charity vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. Charity does not brag and boast. It doesn't go around tooting its own horn. It doesn't go around singing its own praises or demanding recognition or validation. The Bible says, let another man's lips praise thee and not your own. And it's not puffed up. It doesn't have an overinflated opinion of itself. As a matter of fact, it has no opinion of itself because it doesn't think of itself. You know, I thinking about a quote I read by Dr. James Dobson years ago, and he said whenever he began to feel self-important or like he really was knowledgeable about things, he said he was always reminded of what the mother whale said to the baby. He said, be careful when you get to the top and you start to blow. That's when you get harpooned. So love does not vaunt itself. It is not proud. It doesn't speak of itself or seek its own things. Well, the Corinthian church was suffering from a myriad of problems, but really the bottom of it all was pride. And as you study this book, they really were facing four major issues in the church. All of these issues were driven by pride. And with the Lord's help this morning, we'll look at those issues and how pride was involved. The first issue is they were proud of their spiritual gifts. Then you had the second issue, they had members suing one another. The third issue was that there were contentions among some of them regarding spiritual leaders. And the fourth issue was that they were tolerating sexual immorality within the church. All of these were a result of pride. They were proud of their spiritual gifts. You know, other than rather than using these gifts for the Lord's honor and glory and for the edification of the church and for the building up of the saints. They were trying to use these gifts for selfish means and to promote themselves. And they had this idea that if certain individuals possessed certain gifts, they were somehow more spiritual than the other 
members, and the problem is they completely invalidated, if you will, those gifts. They rendered them useless because of their pride. And Paul was reminding them of that. They were proud of these things rather than using them to glorify the Lord. They were trying to use them to glorify themselves. They had forgotten where these gifts had come from. Well, pride will do that. It will make us forget where our blessings come from, where our talents and abilities come from. And James 1.17 reminds us, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father. Pride causes us to forget our blessings, which can lead to something else very terrible. It can lead to ingratitude. You know, proud people are never happy with what they have, regardless of how much they may have, because the proud always feel like they're getting less than they deserve. The very God, we must remember, the very God who gives us our gifts and our abilities and our talents can just as easily take those things away when they are misused or abused or used for any other purpose than for the Lord's glory. And it causes strife and division. I thought of a story about a young evangelist that I heard about years ago who was enjoying some success as a young minister and he had the reputation of being a fine preacher and he was very dynamic and could deliver a powerful message. And as he was holding these crusades, he noticed that each time he would have a crusade, the crowds would get bigger. The problem is when those crowds swelled, so did his pride and so did his head and he began to think he was pretty good. Thought, you know, he really had something to offer the people there. And one night, they rented an auditorium in a town, and he said as he looked out, the, the place was packed, and it was just buzzing with excitement, waiting to hear from this very dynamic preacher. And as he was introduced, as the applause died down, and he stepped up to the pulpit to, to deliver, no doubt, what he thought was his most powerful message yet, he heard a voice from heaven that said, Okay, now you're on your own. Well, he was on his own too. He knew it. It ended up disastrous. The crowd knew it. The Lord had removed that anointing off that man's life because he had forgotten where those blessings came from. He was proud of the things that God had given him. Well, that was one of the problems here in this church in Corinth. You have the issue of members suing one another. Paul addressed that in the sixth chapter. And... Apparently, it doesn't give us a reason why these lawsuits were taking place, but many commentators believe it was probably because of a disagreement between the different factions within the church. And Paul, he asked the question, he says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints? Paul couldn't believe what was going on here. He said, why would you take a matter that should have been handled spiritually and biblically within the church and go to the courts? Why would you take something and ignore the biblical formula for handling conflict and take it to a court of law and have an ungodly and unjust judge decide the outcome? He was shocked at that. It was driven by pride. And he says, I speak this to your shame. Brother goeth through brother, law with brother before the unbelievers. Now there is utterly a fault among you because ye go to the law one with another. Pride was driving this. And he asked the question, why don't you take the wrong and suffer yourselves to be defrauded? 
Uh, he says, but nay, you do wrong and defraud your brethren. In other words, it would have been far better to suffer the loss. Take the hit. Be willing to yield your right to be right in order to maintain the unity in the church. But they decided to do it their own way rather than do it God's way. And of course, anytime anybody does that, there's division, there's strife, there's confusion. Proverbs twenty twenty two says, Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord and he shall save thee. Paul said in Philippians, I would rather suffer the loss of all things that I may win Christ. Love, humility, charity. It can be costly at times. Forgiveness may cost us at times. It may require suffering some temporal losses, but it's far less expensive than pride. Pride is far more costly. Pride will cost a person everything, including their soul. The Lord's Word says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. It says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life. Sadly, they had completely missed this. And rather than yield and give in to one another, they dug in and they determined to be right. Well... Pride is unyielding. Love seeks to solve the problem. Pride seeks to win the argument. Love endeavors to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Pride keeps the strife going. Only by pride cometh contention. Love is concerned with others. Love looks on the things of others. Love causes us to be concerned with the needs of others. Pride is only concerned with self. And it can be destructive. In the summer of 1986, two ships collided in the Black Sea off the coast of Russia. Hundreds of passengers died as a result by being thrown into the icy waters. And news of the disaster quickly spread. And as they began to investigate, they were shocked at what had actually caused this accident. They discovered that it was not a technology problem or a glitch in the radar or even weather-related because of thick fog. The cause was human stubbornness, human pride. said each captain was aware of the other ship's presence nearby but could have steered clear. But according to the news reports, neither captain wanted to give way to the other. Each was too proud to yield first. By the time they came to their senses, it was too late. Pride will do that. That's what pride was doing in this church in Corinth. It was dividing, and rather than come to their senses and take the better way, the way of love, they chose the way of pride, the way of the world, and it was just continuing to cause strife and division. Only by pride comes contention. And speaking of contentions, they were contentions over spiritual leaders in the church. First Corinthians chapter 1, Paul had to address this situation said it was declared among him that there were contentions among you. Well, what does the Bible say? Only by pride cometh contention. These contentions have to be, happen to be over church leadership. Apparently, the members couldn't decide who they were going to follow or listen to. They were divided. Verse 12 said, Some said, I am of Paul. Others said, I am of Apollos. Others said, I am of Cephas or, or Peter. And then the super spiritual among them said, we are of Christ. We're not going to follow anybody else. We're not going to submit to anybody else, only to Christ. That sounded very sanctimonious. 
very virtuous, but it was prideful. And as a result, you had these four different factions within one church. Well, of course, there's going to be contentions and divisions and confusion. Many commentators believe that may have been a result, or those lawsuits may have been a result of those different disagreements within those factions inside the church. But then Paul asks a question. He says, is Christ divided? Well, of course, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. And he reminded them that Christ is not divided, neither is his body, the church, divided. But as long as there was envy and strife among them, there was going to be divisions. And he said, as long as you're acting this way, you're carnal, you're not spiritual, you're no better than the world. They chose the world's way rather than that most excellent or that more excellent way. Those problems could have been easily resolved with one good prayer meeting, just humbling themselves, being willing to submit to those spiritual authorities in their lives. And Paul had to remind them, I watered Apollos, or I, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. He says, neither he that watereth nor he that planteth is anything but God that gives the increase. Reminding them, we're all laborers together with God. They were all in it together. I had an older guy I used to work with. He always used to say, there's no I in the word teamwork. Well, that's true. There is no I in teamwork. Well, in the church, Paul was letting them know there should have been unity. There shouldn't have been any divisions. They were all there for one purpose that they should have been, and that was to glorify the Lord and to edify the saints. The problem is their pride over personal preference was dividing them. But Paul said, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. The more excellent way would have been to humble themselves to look on the needs of others rather than their own. But pride divides. Love unites, but pride divides. And probably worst of all was this issue regarding the tolerance of gross sexual immorality within the church. They had a prideful tolerance of sin, particularly sins of a perverse sexual nature. And the most shocking thing of all wasn't even the sin this man happened to be committing, but it was the church's response to that sin. He said, Ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you, rather than mourn and weep over this man's sin, rather than removing him from fellowship, they were proud of their tolerance. Somebody said church discipline isn't a bunch of pious policemen out to catch a criminal. Rather, it's a group of broken-hearted brothers and sisters seeking to restore an erring family member. That's how they should have responded. For this man's sake, for the sake of the entire congregation, they should have mourned and wept over this man's sin and repented over the fact that this had ever been allowed to take place. But instead of mourning and weeping, they were proud. Proud of their godless tolerance for sin. Sadly, this pride is prevalent and on display in our culture today. 
You know, what's tragic is this church in Corinth is a model of many of our modern churches today. These liberal, progressive churches who preach a different gospel, a gospel of tolerance and acceptance, and they ignore God's true message of repentance and deliverance. They were proud. They were proud of their willingness to accept these things, proud of their tolerance for sin. Someone said there's a new virtue in America today, and it isn't morality, purity, or faithfulness, but tolerance. Condoning what God's Word clearly condemns. Promoting and praising and celebrating practices and lifestyles that God says are an abomination. It's pride and disobedience and rebellion disguised as tolerance and acceptance. This is the worst kind of pride. This kind of pride is like a fist in the face of God. Professing to be wise, they became as fools and they changed the truth of God into a lie, all to accommodate sinful lifestyles and practices that God strictly forbids. Rather than preaching the true message of repentance and deliverance, it's now tolerance and acceptance. Any message that leaves a man in a sin is not the message that we want preached. God can deliver and set free, but it was their pride that blinded them to this truth. Be not deceived. The Bible says God is not mocked. The proud in heart are going to face God's wrath and judgment one day. It tells us that the wrath of God is reserved for those who hold the truth and unrighteousness. There is a day of judgment coming for all of those that are proud in heart. You know, there has never been an argument, a disagreement, a divorce, a church split, a division, a betrayal, or a sin of any kind where pride wasn't the major factor. That may seem like an oversimplification, but in fact, God's Word tells us only by pride, only by pride cometh contention. The Word of God tells us out of all the sins that God hates the most, pride is at the top of the list. He hates it the most because it keeps us from what we need the most. That is His love. We need God's grace. We need God's mercy. We need God's forgiveness. The Bible says, through faith, by grace, through faith, are you saved? Grace is that thing that will allow us to be saved. It's that uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's that divine favor extended to fallen man. We need God's grace. Every one of us need the grace of God. God's grace is sufficient to meet every need, no matter what it is, no matter how deep you may be in sin. God's grace can deliver you this morning, but there's one thing that'll keep you from it. That's pride. That's pride. The Bible says God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. There's a cure for pride. That's the good news. We don't have to be bound by pride, but that pride, the only way to access that grace is to be willing to humble yourself. God's love, God's gift of grace and love the more excellent way it's available to everyone here this morning, but you must recognize your need for it. You have to humble yourself and realize you need that grace in your life. 
You know, you can experience God's resistance or you can experience His grace. It's like that Scripture reading. You can leave like the Pharisee or you can leave like the publican. One man went home dignified. The other man went home justified. The publican or the Pharisee went home with his pride intact. But he left the same way he came, a self-righteous sinner bound for a lost eternity. Oh, but the publican had said he couldn't so much as even lift up his head, but he smote on his breast and cried out and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He saw his need. You know what? He had to lay down his pride, but he received something far greater. He received grace. He received deliverance. He went home justified rather than the other. If you're here this morning and you're unsaved, how are you going to leave? Are you going to leave dignified or are you going to leave justified? You have a choice. But God's grace is sufficient. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. We all need God's grace. I need God's grace. We all need it. It's available. May God bless you today. Come, seek the Lord. Humble yourself. Pour your heart out before the Lord. The Lord will help you today. Let's sing song 657. These altars are open.